If you already have all the answers before you take action, you're not operating in faith. Faith doesn't give us all the questions and all the answers. It gives us to the one who holds all the answers. This is All Things New with Pastor Barry E. Fields. Hebrews chapter 11 and beginning in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and that they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. And by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. We remember that faith is the substance of things hoped for, that it is the evidence of things not seen, that by it, this is how the elders obtain a good report. Through faith, we know that the worlds were created by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. He tells us about how Enoch walked with God and he was translated that he should not see death for God took him. He tells us how Noah declared to the people that it was going to rain even though he had never seen rain and in God's time and in God's way, it came about. He recounts Abraham, the great patriarch of the faith who went to a land of which he was not sure of the destination offered his only son on behalf of the Lord's command and God supplied. He tells us of Jacob and of Isaac and of Joseph and goes down through the generations and recounts to us the faithfulness of God. And then he parks on Moses, who was the recipient of all these blessings, who has inherited the leadership of the mantle of the children of Israel, but they are not in promised land, they are in Egypt. They are in slavery and bondage. And now, God has said to Moses, go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And I hope that you see that the writer of Hebrews is pointing us beyond the temporal and toward the eternal, beyond the things which are seen and toward the things which are not seen. This is the God we serve. This is the message we proclaim, and he defines to us what it is that faith remembers. Faith remembers. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. You'll recall that the Lord had brought a series of plagues upon the house of Pharaoh because he had refused to let my people go. And so there had been famine, there had been pestilence. There had been the river turned into blood. There had been many signs and wonders proclaimed, and yet Pharaoh still refused to let the people of God go. And so God sent the tenth and the final plague upon Egypt, and that was the death of the firstborn. It's a seemingly cruel thing to do if you look at it from an outside perspective. The scripture tells us that God is the one who hardens Pharaoh's heart. And later on, it also says that Pharaoh hardens his own heart. So we see the sovereignty of God and the free will of man both in operation here, and the consequences 
consequences of Pharaoh's pride brought the judgment upon his own head and upon his people. Keep in mind, this was a warning sent by God. Had not Pharaoh been told to repent? Had not he been told by the Lord that unless you let my people go, devastation will come? And it tells us that in the middle of all of that, before this final plague hits the children of Israel and Egypt gathered together, of this relationship between the Passover and communion. You remember that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so the Lord had said, when I see the blood, that is when I will pass over you. And the angel of death does this cosmic flyover of all the inhabitants of the land. And whoever did not have the blood on the door were destroyed. And Moses and the Israelites certainly don't understand the full meaning of what the Lord commands. They don't understand that Jesus will later say, this is my flesh, this is my blood. So often as you partake of this, you do this in remembrance of me. This blood is the covenant of the New Testament. This bread is my body broken for you. Moses and the Israelites certainly don't understand what that will look like down the line, but they obey in faith. And can I say something? If you already have all the answers before you take action, you're not operating in faith. Faith doesn't give us all the questions and all the answers. It gives us to the one who holds all the answers. To trust in the one who has put us in this place. And Pharaoh refuses to accept God's provision, thereby sealing his fate. Just as the world today refuses to accept the Lord's provision, and so often, how do we? He has told us that the blood of Christ is greater than good works, that our righteousness is as filthy rags with compared before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and yet we still have this idea in our mind that somehow our good works will outweigh our bad, that somehow if we just do the best we can, we'll be okay when we stand before God. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And there is nothing in your life that God cannot forgive, but there is also nothing in your life that God will forgive apart from repentance and faith. This is the sacrifice that is being made. This is Christ on the cross, the foreshadowing of what he would do on behalf of the people as the ultimate atonement for sins. And he tells us that we are also included in this list. We were by nature the children of wrath. We too deserved these plagues. We deserved death, but God in his mercy hath turned our hearts from the captivity of sin and toward the freedom of righteousness. He's brought us out of the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light. And he tells us to remember to keep the Passover and the communion. To remember that what God does is greater than what we would ever do on his behalf. He tells us what faith remembers. But he also tells us what faith forgets. Look into the latter part of verse 29. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. And if you read the Exodus account, it tells us that at first, when the people get ready to cross over the Red Sea onto dry land, they start to panic. This is what they say in Exodus 14, 11. Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? They, they complained to Moses. And then Moses tells them to take heart. Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish of you today. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. The Lord 
will fight for you. Oh, brothers and sisters, if we ever understood the phrase that if we are a child of God, that He is for us, that God is for you, that God fights the battles you face every day, and He is a much better fighter than you will ever be, that He is for us as Father, that He is with us as Son, and then that He is in us as Spirit, and surrounded by water on the two sides with the Egyptians charging behind, the only way for the Israelites to go is forward. And so they move ahead, even though it must have been a scary thing. They tell me that crossing through the Candleton locks and dams is actually, if you're in a small boat, can be a rather scary thing. I've heard numerous people say that because they lower you down in the water and you've got walls on either side and you worry about not having control. Can you imagine on an even greater scale walking through a riverbed with waters roaring on either side? That must have been quite a sight. And yet the Israelites walk through it by faith. We're also told the opposite of this is true. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So the Israelites act in faith, but it tells us the Egyptians did not. When they attempt to do the same, they were drowned. So trying to do God's work apart from God's way is ultimately to fail. And so if we consider the contrary side of this, not to live a life of faith, not to live a life of risk, not to live a life of abandonment, is to go against the very faith that we profess. To stare the death angel in the face is scary. To walk through the mist of the Red Sea is frightening. To march around the walls of Jericho is terrifying. But true faith risks it all. And he tells us that by faith those walls of Jericho came down after they had been encircled for seven days. The impenetrable walls of the city of Jericho as the children of Israel walked around and played music and shouted. Not a very intimidating thing to do as an army, unless you've got the Lord of hosts on your side. And down they come. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Isn't it interesting how God always points out how his chosen people often miss him, but the outsiders are the ones who see him. Rahab the prostitute is mentioned in the line of faith, and she becomes the great-grandmother to David the king through whose line Christ comes because she walked in faith, because she took a risk. And so what is it when someone says to have faith? Well, to have faith is to take God at his word, to believe that his promises are true simply because he has declared them. To have eyes to see that he has brought them to pass in his own timing and in his own way. And listen, either you will trust in the word of the Lord, or you will trust the word of someone else, or worse, you will trust the word of self. And he says, the arm of flesh will fail you, as the old song goes, you dare not trust your own that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord had laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all, and the promises of God are ultimately bought by the blood of his Son. He tells us, if you don't fight the good fight of faith, that you can't lay hold on eternal life. And so faith is not passive, it is active. And rest assured, it is a fight. It is a fight 
every single day. And if you don't see it as a fight, you are being greatly deceived by the enemy. He tells us our warfare isn't against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And to fight the good fight of faith is crucial for us. To fight it on behalf of your family, to fight it on behalf of your church, to fight it on behalf of your Lord, because your very soul depends on it. Every single day is a struggle for the fight of faith. To say, God, I give myself to you this day, and whatever comes my way, I will live for you. Whether the seas come at me, whether the walls are hard to knock down, whether someone accuses the past of my life as not being worthy, I will walk in faith. Because I will remember what you have done and I will forget the doubts and the fears that come along. See, faith isn't the absence of fear for us, isn't it? Some people think, well, as long as I have the right feeling, I can do what God's called me to do. Don't trust your feelings. Goodness, don't trust your feelings. They're like the wind. They come and go each and every day. If I trust how I feel rather than the one in whom I believe, I'm not going to make it at the end of the day. But he tells us, I like how MacArthur puts this. At every juncture in our lives, we either fulfill the will of God and are filled with His Spirit, or we fulfill our own will and quench the Spirit. When we truly believe God, we will know that in everything He has our best interest at heart, and we will always decide for Him. How do you walk in faith? You have to believe that what God has for you is better than what the world has for you. It's better than what you would ever have for yourself. Someone said Moses goes against pleasures and treasures and dangers. But it's not as if he is against pleasure. It's not as if he is against treasure. It's not as if he's in favor of danger. He's just found someone who gives greater pleasure, who gives treasure that will not fade away, who, despite the danger, promises to see you through to the promised land. Moses denied the here because he believed there was something greater there. That is the calling of our lives. It says, by faith they died. And so must we. We have to believe that we are sojourners, that we are pilgrims in this land. And until God calls us home, the fight is not ended. The war is ahead. And we must live intentionally every day, walking the fight of faith. Because he considered the reproach of Christ, verse 26, Greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He forgot the things which are behind, and he looked to the things which are ahead. He left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, the most powerful ruler of the world, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Because at the end of the day, I have to determine who do I fear more. Do I fear the king? Do I fear man or do I fear God? If I fear the king and I fear man, I really don't fear God. But if I fear God, I really don't fear the king and I fear man. And Moses demonstrates to us what it means to live a life of faith, what it is to fight on behalf of our families, to fight on behalf of the church, to fight on behalf of the Lord.
Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at barryefields.com.